Hallelujah. Now you came to the house of God this morning. You might as well give God all your attention, all your praise, and all your worship. Because you'll feel better when you leave if you do. And, you know, you just have a wonderful lunch afterwards, chat all you want to, do all that stuff. But right now, let's give God our highest praise. Would you lift your voices? And would you praise the Lord because he's worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. Now I've come to worship you, Lord. Come to lift up your name and exalt you. You are worthy. Hallelujah. Lord God, you've done so much for me, I cannot tell it all. You've taken my sins away. God, you've been gracious to me, Lord. Hallelujah. Blessed me when I didn't deserve. Hallelujah. You know, if God only blessed you when you deserved it, most of us wouldn't be getting any blessings. But God blesses us because he's good. And I'm thankful that never changes. How about you? Praise God. Praise God. You know, I feel like I feel like believing God and standing on his word, claiming the promises of God, saying this is going to be a great day and God's going to do great things. Hallelujah. Your spouse looks at you and goes, I love you. You might be wondering if this spouse means it. But if your spouse says, I love you, and we come to the house of God today, and God's been so gracious, he's been so kind, he's worthy of all of our praise, and we've come to a place where healings can take place, deliverances, victories, the hand of God can change a situation that's not even in this building. We need to have a little bit of anticipation this morning that God really is going to do all that he said he would do. Hallelujah. This is not the dentist office. This is the house of God. And anything can happen today. Dr. Rachel, if you're listening, it's all right. Praise God. God can do anything. And all we need to do is just begin to expect God to work and expect Him to move. And, you know, God can tell a lot of what we're expecting by what we're doing right now. What are you going to have for lunch? Oh, I think I'll put a roast out today. Or are you coming to the house of God with anticipation? Now, the devil can't read your mind, but he can sure read your body language, and I'm reading it pretty good this morning myself. So I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet if you have two feet. And if you only have one, you can sit down. But if you got two feet, I'd like you to get up on them, and I'd like you to do exactly opposite of what your flesh feels like doing. Your flesh probably feels like sitting back and letting pastor carry this load for you this morning. The only thing is pastor's not going to do it. Hallelujah. We're all going to worship God and we're all going to see God do a great work. And if you wait till you feel like doing it, church will be over. So let's start now. All right, everybody, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Lord, I give you praise. I give you glory. I expect you to move. I expect miracles and signs and wonders. I expect healings, oh God, and deliverances. I expect the addict to be set free. I expect, oh God, marriages to be healed. I expect in the name of Jesus, healing in the bodies and in the souls. Oh, hallelujah. I praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 
I guess my job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So here we go. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to the book of Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. And I might just have you finish the message for me. So be listening very carefully so you won't even break the sentence. You can just keep right on going with it. All right, here we go. Romans chapter 4, verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. One more verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. And I'm going to preach this morning, if the Lord helps me, on this subject. God is able. <laughs> Clap your hands to the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. When God told Abraham that he would give him a son who would have many descendants and that son would become a great nation, Abraham believed God even though such a promise was physically impossible. But Abraham's faith was not in what was possible. His faith was in God. He didn't worry about the fact that he was too old to be a father. At the age of 100. And that Sarah, his wife, at 90 years old, was also much too old to have a baby. What God promised him was absolutely impossible. According to all the known laws of nature, it could not happen. But when you are serving God, impossible is a hopeful word. It's a direct invitation for God to step in. When something is impossible to be done, that really intrigues God and causes God to step into your situation. Abraham refused to give in to, listen, the demons of doubt. Demons of doubt. He believed God and that was it. He believed God and that was final. Faith is like a muscle. Prayerfully speaking, faith, claiming God's promise, is the exercise that strengthens that faith muscle. If you don't exercise it, it'll waste away. But if you will exercise it by prayerfully speaking, faith, And stop speaking the words that the demons of doubt have placed in your mind. Instead of saying how bad the situation is, maybe you need to start talking about how good it's going to be when God intervenes. Let's just try that for a minute. Hallelujah. God, I praise you for what you're doing. I praise you for every person who's listening. I praise you, God, for every situation that I'm aware of. I praise you, God, for how wonderful it's going to be 
when you intervene. I praise God for the great answers. I praise God for the great victories. I praise God for all the healthy people. I praise God for all the people that are getting saved. I praise God for all the people who are going to see their families saved and their children convert. Oh, praise God. I refuse in the name of Jesus to speak the words that the demons of doubt try to place in my mind. But in the name of Jesus, I'm speaking faith. Hallelujah. See, that's why some people don't do it, because working out takes effort. And when you speak faith, when the demons of doubt are speaking in your ear, it takes some effort to do that. It's much easier to succumb and to say, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's much easier just to walk around in poor mouth and, and whine and cry and, and uh, begin to plan for the worst but when you exercise your faith muscle, even though you don't feel like doing it, you are accomplishing something. It may not even be emotional just yet. Your emotions may not have caught up to your faith yet. Your emotions may be trampled, but you begin to say, God's got this. I know God is able. I know God is able. I know God has got this. I know God is working for me. I know that God is for me. I know that God is blessing me. One thing I like about Abraham's faith was his faith seemed to grow stronger. The longer he lived, the more faith he had. He had what we all want to have and all should project to have, ever-increasing faith. I, I love all the new ones that are coming. God bless you. We're glad to have you. But I am not going to go back in my faith. I'm going forward. I'm not going to say the longer I live for him, the t more tired I get living for God. The longer I live for God, the harder it is to serve the Lord. No. I refuse to give in to that kind of a thought. I'm going to say the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. I'm going to say, I believed him yesterday, but I believe him more today. And I'm going to believe him more tomorrow. Hallelujah. I have an ever-increasing faith. And faith comes by hearing. You need to speak your faith. You need to say your faith. Because faith is increasing when you say that it is. Abraham praised God for the promised blessing before it happened. Before the blessing ever came, he was praising God for it. He was completely satisfied that God was well able to do anything and everything he had promised. Unbelief is not just a doubt that comes to your mind. Unbelief is a demonic spirit that will sap the vitality and positivity out of your life like a poisonous spider bite. You may not realize it, but we have been engaged in a spiritual warfare throughout the world. And I don't know what, uh, about all the rest of the world, but I know here in Maine and the United States, there's been some spiritual warfare going on. And you may think, oh, it's just COVID or it's just a, a sickness or it's, it, it's a pandemic and it may be all those things. But I'll tell you something else it is. It's a spiritual warfare. And unbelief is not just a, a little heaviness that comes upon you. It is a spirit of unbelief and it saps the strength out of your life and out of your soul. It's like a poisonous spider. It's putting its venom into its prey. Unbelief will make you stagger at the promises of God. Unbelief will make you look at God with suspicion. And say, well, I don't know about this. Maybe we should build a tower. Instead of going out and going and doing what God said, maybe he is going to send the rain again. No, maybe we better just build this tower here. Unbelief is a spirit that wants you to stagger 
at the promise of God. The spirit of unbelief attracts spirits of melancholy. I'm just going to talk about the spiritual aspect of this. It's not just a, a little bit of depression over having to quarantine or wear the mask. There is a spiritual aspect that I refuse to give in to. It is a spirit of unbelief and it attracts melancholy. It will have you weeping a puddle of tears. It will have you bent over and weeping and crying and so depressed that you can barely stand it. Unbelief will fill your day with a sense of sadness and sometimes you don't even know why you're feeling sad. You just feel sad and, and you don't know why you're feeling sad. I know there are physical I know there are chemical things going on, but I also know that the Spirit of God is telling me to tell you, we need to kick the devils behind. We need to stand up and say, okay, you filthy spirit of unbelief. You want me to feel melancholic. You want me to feel sad and depressed. You want me to walk around saying, well, there's not much left to look forward to now. And I noticed that the spirit of unbelief will draw melancholy and sadness to your life. It'll just, like a magnet, it's the spirit of unbelief. Somebody has to stand up and begin to reverse the course by speaking faith, speaking positive. What you say is going to affect your direction. Now your feelings are going to get hit sometimes. Everybody is going to have, is going to have that happen. There's going to be times when fear is going to come. There's going to be times when sadness is going to come. But you have got to resist it in the name of Jesus. And the way we resist it is by professing our faith in God, speaking our faith uh, in God out loud. When you're faced with what looks like it could be a disaster, begin to speak faith. Begin to say, you know, I believe that God's got this. Find somebody in your life that will speak faith into you. If all you have is somebody that's always talking negative, negative, negative into your life, it's like water dripping on the same spot on the granite rock. It will eventually make a hole in that rock. You need to find a friend that will agree with you and say, you know, God's got this. God's working on this. Praise God. Mr. Negativity, I command you to silence. I command you to be silent, Mr. Negativity. I'm not talking about a physical person. I'm talking about the spirit, the demons of doubt and unbelief. Come on, somebody say praise God. You see, here's what the devil knows. Unbelief causes your sure steps to become unsteady. When he comes for you, the first thing, the most important thing that he wants from you, he wants your faith. If he can suck the faith out of your life, you'll be an empty shell. So when the devil comes, he comes for your faith. And I'm going to tell you, he's come for your faith already. You might as well stand up. You're not going to get any stronger than you are right now. You might as well stand up and fight it now. Don't wait uh, for another week and then start whispering the name of Jesus. This is the day. This is the time to say, Mr. Devil, I see what you're trying to do to me and to my family. I see what you're trying to do to me and to those that I love. Well, you're not going to have your way in my life. I am one person, but I'm going to stand up for God. I'm going to begin to say, God's got this. I'm going to begin to say to my spouse, don't worry, honey, God's got this. I'm going to begin to speak to my children, faith, God's got this. I'm going to begin to speak to those I love, God's got this. I've got to speak faith, and when I do, the power of faith will begin to work.
If you are having trouble coping, start hoping. got to hope you may feel like a piece of burnt toast right now but you've got to hope that it's going to get better you may be looking at a situation in your family and the devil's saying <laughs> sucker I got you now you'll never come out of this one your loved ones are not going to come out of this I'll damage them But you have to stand up and say, no, God's got this. I, 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 can't, I, can't always, I can't always see good things going on around me. So I just have to close my eyes and say, God's got this. God's got this. He's bigger than all my problems. He's bigger than all my fears. God. It's bigger than every mountain that I can or cannot see. He's bigger than this trial you're going through. He's bigger than COVID-19. Hallelujah. He's bigger than cancer. Praise God. He's bigger than the impossible situation that seems to be right in front of you. He's bigger than the trauma that faces your children or your grandchildren. But somebody has got to rise up with the weapon of faith and say, All right, in the name of Jesus, my God can do this. Hallelujah. Uh, any, any dummy can, can talk about this is wrong and that's wrong. And, and I, I point out where this problem is and who asked you to be the person who points out all the problems anyway? When did it become your job to note carefully on your list all the things that are wrong and, and all the bad things? God never called you to do that. He called you to trust Him. He called you to believe Him. He called you to believe for the impossible. He called you to believe Him when there's nothing that you can do, when it seems like everything's going to hell and a handbasket. You just turn to God and say, but God, you know I believe you. You know I trust in you. God, I'm not I'm not speaking fear. I'm not speaking unbelief. Some of you are carving out your own cave. You're digging your own grave. I'm going to tell you how you do it. This is terrible. I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I going to do? This is getting worse. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. Keep digging, honey. You're almost there. Three more feet and you'll have the six feet you need. Six feet down. Or you can throw away that stupid shovel. And you can say, impossible is what my God specializes in. Devil, you intended to do my family harm, but my God is going to do my family good. Devil, you intended to destroy my body, but my God intends to heal my body. Devil, you intended to depress my mind and cause me to feel hopeless, but I hope in God. Hallelujah. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Somebody right now that's been going through the battle of your life. Why don't you begin to speak faith right now? Begin to speak something positive about the situation that you're facing. And if I was a devil, I would not want you to be here for this. Because if he can get you to speak one more day of negativity... He's going to slip that noose around your neck. And he's going to jerk the chair out from under your feet. But if somebody can say, God, it doesn't matter how bad I feel. It doesn't matter how dangerous the situation may be. It doesn't matter how desperate it may be. It doesn't matter how far this situation has gone. I am going to look 
to you. I'm going to believe you, God. You're great, God. You've got this. And begin to speak. You need to speak what you want to happen instead of what you're afraid is going to happen. Come on, somebody speak out loud what you want to happen instead of what you're afraid is going to happen. This is a day of deliverance. This is a day of great victory. This is a day of healing. Hallelujah. You see, there has to be a Red Sea in front of you for the Red Sea to be parted. And the part I don't like is I don't want to come to the Red Sea. But that's when God says, my specialty. I was waiting for you to get here. Are you ready for this? The doctor says it's impossible. Impossible's written across your child's head. Impossible's written across your situation. And God says, you just came to the Red Sea. Now I can show you a greater miracle than you've ever seen in your whole life. See, we don't get it. Because God leads us into situations where it's impossible so that he can do the impossible. He leads us to a place where our faith is challenged. And then we have to speak and say, God, you're able to do this. And God is absolutely able. Praise God. And I can change the way I think by the words that come out of my mouth. I change what's in here by what I say here. If I keep saying negativity, then what? I think in here is negative and I keep going downhill you gotta start pulling back on that wheel a little bit bub you're in a pretty steep dive there got start pulling back on that wheel but there's a lot of pressure on that wheel yeah there's gonna be a lot of pressure on your body in a minute you need to pull back on that wheel <laughs> I don't feel like it. That's the whole point. You have to do it when you don't feel like it. Right? Faith says what God has promised, God will provide. I am fully persuaded. Everybody say fully persuaded. That what God has promised... God is able also to perform. Can I say this to you, and I believe it's true with all of my heart? God is able to give you more than you need. You're challenged by the situation, but God is able to give you more than what you need so that you will always have all your need met. God is able. God will generously provide all you need. God is not stingy. God does not delight in your poverty. God is bountiful. He's wonderful. He's a God of abundance. He's a God that loves you. And you need to be fully persuaded that that God is ready to help you right now. I'm just going to stand here for a minute and I'm going to reflect on that and I'm going to say it again. God is ready to give you more than what you need. You, you, you're asking for what you need, but I'm telling you that the God I serve is able to give you more than what you need. You're hoping to squeak by, and God's saying, no, no, I've come to give you abundant life. Many, many, many years ago, a lady who heated her house, heated her house with coal had got to the end of her provisions, and I remember this story from when I was a kid. She had no money, and she was getting low on coal to the point where her home was going to be freezing. She got down on her knees and she prayed, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I need a load of coal. 
It wasn't very long after that that a truck carrying a load of coal came down the road in front of her house, and as he was going over the overpass that was right adjacent to her property that crossed a dry riverbed, something happened. A tire popped, the truck tipped, the driver was okay, but the coal went right down in the dry riverbed. Driver got out, wiped his handkerchief across his face and said a few words I can't say here. Looked at the pile of coal that was in the dry gulch and went, ah, jumped in his truck and took off and she had her winter's supply of coal. I don't know how God intends to help you. I just know that he's going to help you and he's going to give you more than what you asked for. So if you want to accept that, you go ahead. And everybody doesn't want to just sit there and just look at me and don't do anything. But if you believe God, just give God some kind of reaction. God's going to supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So today, I unsheathe the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the prophet told me years ago, he said, you have an unorthodox angel. Every time you raise his, your sword, he will raise his. I raise the sword of the Spirit today. Praise God. I raise the sword of the Spirit today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I go to the Word of God. And I say, all right, this is what the Word of God says. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Now faith is the substance, the most important, the essential part of things hoped for. It's the evidence, it's the proof, it's the confirmation, it's the verification of things not seen. What is the verification? Faith, believing God, it's the substance, it's the important, essential part of the things that's going to make what you hope for come to pass. It's not the cancer that will kill you. It's, it's, it's not the COVID-19 that will kill you. We need to exercise our faith. You old spirit of doubt and fear, worry, anxiety, you're not going to have your way in our lives because faith is the substance. It's the most important part of the things we hope for. It's the evidence. It's the proof. It's the verification. My faith of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. Through faith. Everybody say, through faith, through complete trust and confidence in God, we understand. You see, you don't, you don't understand until you, until you look through the eyeglasses of faith. You have to look through the lens of faith. Until you look through the lens of faith, you don't understand anything. You might think you know it, but you don't know it. Through faith, we understand. That's when you start understanding, when you start exercising your faith, praise God, and claiming it. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, but which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by he being dead yet speaketh. I know you've probably heard that verse preached from, but I'm just going to take a moment on that verse. Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, and though Abel has been dead for many, many centuries, yet his sacrifice still speaks to us today because, number one, he offered the sacrifice that God asked him to offer. Some folks want to live for God, but they want to live for God their own way. That's what Cain tried, and he was rejected. But Abel's sacrifice, offered centuries ago, still speaks to us because he offered God what God asked for him to offer. 
You can't serve God your way. You have to be willing to serve God God's way. You can't pick and choose how you're going to serve God. That's the error of Cain. But Abel's sacrifice still speaks to us because when God said a blood sacrifice, Abel offered him a the firstling of his flock. He offered him the first. And that's the second thing that Cain's sacrifice speaks to me of. God didn't give him a three-legged, or Abel didn't give God a three-legged lamb. Abel didn't give God the call of the flock. Abel gave God the firstlings of his flock. Cain gave God whatever was bruised, whatever wouldn't bring the right price, something he didn't really care about anyway. He gave that to God and thought, ha ha, God will be excited about that. And God said, no, no, I'm not very excited about that. I'm excited about Abel's offering because Abel gave the firstlings of his flock. But Cain doesn't say anything about giving the firstlings of his garden. I learn a lot from Abel. He offered God what you don't want to stand before the judgment bar and start singing with Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. You can't serve God your way. You've got to serve God his way. Want scripture for it? Here it is. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Believe on him as the scripture has said. Hey, if you're going to believe, let me tell you something. Did you know that Cain was a believer? The Bible says that Cain built an altar. Unbelievers don't build altars. Cain was a believer, but Cain had a stubborn streak a mile wide down his back. And he would say, I'll offer God what I want to offer him. And he can take it or leave it. And God said, I'll leave it. Abel said, I'll give God the sacrifice he wants. What are you offering to God today? Are you willing to offer God that which God has requested, that which God requires, that which God has commanded? Or are you trying to get God to accept the things that you want to give him and serve him on your own terms? Somebody better pick up a white flag and start waving it. I surrender, your majesty. I surrender my wants, my desires, my preferences. Folks, let me, let me just ask you something. How, how many ever had a, a burn? You ever had a burn? Anybody ever get a burn on your hand or a burn? Anybody? Well, what would it be like to put your hand on a stove and just leave it there for a long time? till you, still, you, you, you smell it cooking. Nobody in their right mind would do that. Right? Hello? I'm going to serve God God's way. I can't not afford to offer a sacrifice like Cain did and not be accepted. I want my sacrifice to be accepted. So I'm going to offer the sacrifice that this book says to offer. I learned from Abel's sacrifice because... Abel didn't offer God that which God had already cursed. You remember when God was giving out the curses, he said, Adam, I, oh, oh, I, I cursed the ground because of you. Thistles and thorns will grow out from that ground now and you'll work by the sweat of your brow. And what does Cain do? He says, look, I brought the fruit of the ground to you and I want you to bless it. And God says, I can't bless something I've already cursed. You cannot live for God and expect God to bless something that God has already cursed. When God's already said something's wrong, it's always going to be wrong. When God has cursed something, it's cursed. And you can't say, well, I, I, I'm going to live for God this way. You live for God your way. All roads will lead to heaven eventually. That's not true. Straight is the gate. Narrow is the way that leadeth into eternal life. And few there be that find it. Let's stay with the book. By faith, Enoch was translated. 
that he should not see death. It was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Listen, if you're going to seek God, seek him with both your hands. Seek God with all of your heart because he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He's not going to reward somebody that's seeking God on a part-time basis. Part-time faith, like a part-time job, will not fully support you. So, he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark. Hold it. They told me there was nothing to do, just believe. But the Bible talks about faith being different from that. The Bible says it was by faith that Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark. He could have said, I believe all I want to, and still, if he didn't get up and go to work on the ark, he was going to drown. Sincerity is no substitute for truth. Ladies and gentlemen, if we talk after church today, and Brother Andrew and I have a little discussion after church, and he says, Brother Stoops, I got to take a trip to Portland, so I'll see you. I'll be back in time for church tonight. And he goes up to the entrance to I-95, and he gets on I-95 North. Now, Brother Andrew could be very sincere and believe with all of his heart and really want to go to Portland. But as long as he's driving northbound on Interstate 95, he will not be arriving in Portland anytime soon. Sincerity is never a substitute for truth. You can believe all you want to and the devils believe and tremble. But when you believe as the scripture has said, you're going to do what the scripture says to do. And on the day of Pentecost, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Have you ever stopped and thought about this? Every great accomplishment was once impossible. Every great achievement was once impossible. And faith is believing for things that are out of sight. If you could see it, you wouldn't need faith. You know when you get the most stressed, everybody, I'm almost done. You know when you get the most stressed? When you're worried about something that's down the road a week or two or a month or six months. And the devil starts whispering, what if? And he can make you a nervous wreck. But the business of faith is to believe things are out of sight. It was in the latter part of the 19th century when the Methodist church was holding its denominational convention. One leader stood up and shared his vision both for the church and society at large. He told the ministers and the evangelists that were present how he believed, and this is what he said, that someday men would fly from place to place instead of merely traveling on horseback. You should have heard the gasp and the groans. It was a concept too outlandish for many members to handle. And in that business meeting, are you with me? One minister, a Bishop Wright, stood up and angrily protested, heresy! Flight is reserved For the angels. He went on to elaborate that if God had intended for man to fly, he would have given him wings. 
Boy, he waxed eloquent. Clearly, the bishop was unable to envision what the speaker was predicting. When Bishop Wright finished his brief protest, he gathered up his two sons, Orville and Wilbur, and left the auditorium. That's right. His sons were Orville and Wilbur Wright. And several years later, on December 17, 1903, those two sons did what their father had said was impossible. They made four flights that day that lasted only, the first one lasted 12 seconds, the fourth uh, lasted 59 seconds, and took them a total of 852 feet. The two brothers partnered together to believe for the impossible. And in the process, they changed the entire world. I'm coming to a close today, but I have to tell you one more story. It was a miracle that took place in Brooklyn, New York, New York. Actually, it even... I can tell you where it took place. It took place on the subway. And it was many years ago. The car was crowded and there seemed to be no chance of a seat. But as Paul Dutchman entered, a man sitting by the door suddenly jumped up to leave and Paul slipped into the empty seat. Paul had been living long enough in New York not to start conversations with strangers. But Paul was a photographer. And he had a peculiar habit of analyzing people's faces. And he was struck by the features of the passenger on his immediate left. He noted that he was probably in his late 30s. And when he glanced up, his eyes seemed to have a hurt expression. He was reading a Hungarian language newspaper. And something prompted Paul to say in Hungarian... I hope you don't mind if I glance at your paper. The man was shocked that he addressed him in his native language. But he answered politely, you may read it now. I'll have time later on. It was a half hour ride into town. And Paul and this man had quite a conversation. He said his name was Bela Paskin. Bela Paskin, a law student when World War II started, he had been put into a German labor battalion and sent to the Ukraine. Later, he was captured by the Russians and, and he was forced to work burying the German dead. After the war, he covered hundreds of miles on foot until he reached his home in Dibrisen, Dibrisen, Hungary, a large city in eastern Hungary. Paul knew Dibrison quite well, and they talked about it for a while. Then Bela Paskin told Paul the rest of the story. He said when he went to the apartment once occupied by his father, mother, brothers, and sisters, he found strangers living there. Then he went upstairs to the apartment that he and his wife once had. It was occupied by strangers. None of them had ever heard of his family. As he was leaving... Full of sadness, a boy came running after him. Uncle Paskin, Uncle Paskin. The child was the son of an old neighbor of his. Bela went to the boy's home, talked to his parents, and this is what they told him. Your whole family is dead. The Nazis took them and your wife to Auschwitz. One of the worst Nazi concentration camps. Paskin gave up all hope. A few days later, too heart sick to remain any longer in Hungary, he set out on foot again and he stole across border after border until he reached Paris. He managed to immigrate to the United States in October 1947, just three months before the subway train ride with Paul. All the time Bela had been talking, Paul was quizzically looking at him and listening and thinking that somehow, some way, his story sounded so familiar. 
You see, a young woman whom he had met recently at the home of friends had also been from Dibrison, Hungary. And she had been sent to Auschwitz. From there, she'd been transferred to work in a German munitions factory, and her relatives had been all killed in gas chambers. Later, she was liberated by the Americans and was brought to New York in the first boatload of displaced persons in 1946. Her story had moved Paul so much that he had written down her address and phone number, intending to invite her to meet his family and thus relieve the terrible emptiness that was in her life. It seemed impossible that there could be any connection between these two people. But as Paul neared the station where he would get off the train, he fumbled anxiously in his address book, and he asked in what he hoped was a, a casual voice, Was your wife's name Maria? Bela turned pale. Yes. How did you know? He looked as if he were about to faint. Paul said, let's get off this train. Paul took Bela by the arm at the next station, led him to what adults here would remember as a phone booth. Bela stood there like a man in a trance while Paul dialed the number. It seemed like hours before Maria Paskin answered. Her room was alongside the telephone, but she was in the habit of never answering it because she had so few friends and the calls were always for someone else. So she refused to answer the phone. This time, however, there was no one else at home, and after letting it ring for the longest time, she finally sighed, walked over, and picked up the phone. When Paul heard her voice at last, he told her who he was. And he said, would you do something for me? Would you describe your husband? She seemed surprised at the question, but she gave him a description. Then Paul asked her where she had lived in Dibrison, and she told Paul the address. Paul turned to Bela, covers the phone, and whispered, Did you and your wife live on such and such a street? Yes. Bela was white as a sheet and trembling. Paul said, Bela, something miraculous is about to happen to you. Here, take this phone and talk to your wife. Tell me, is God a miracle working God? Bala nodded his head in bewilderment, his eyes bright with tears. He took the phone, he listened to his wife's voice, and then he started crying, This is Bala! This is Bala! And he began to mumble hysterically. The poor fellow was so excited, he couldn't talk coherently. So Paul took the phone away from him, and from his shaking hands, and he said to Maria, who also was sounding hysterical, Stay where you are, I'm sending your husband to you, we will be there in a few minutes. Bela was crying like a baby, and he was saying over and over again, It is my wife. I go to my wife. It is my wife. I go to my wife. Paul put Bela Paskin into a taxi, directed the driver to take him to Maria's address, paid the fare, said goodbye. Later, Maria said, I remember only that when I left the phone, I walked to the mirror like in a dream to see if maybe my hair had turned gray. The next thing I know, she said, a taxi stops in front of my house, and it is my husband who comes toward me. Details I cannot remember, only this I know, that I was happy for the first time in many years. It was a miracle from God. Would you please get ready for your miracle now? I'm not asking who deserves it, because you don't. And I don't. I'm not asking that you have this huge mountain of faith. I'm just asking you to have a little mustard seed of faith. And I'm going to say with you, this mountain must be removed and cast into the sea. And it's going to happen by the miracle power of God as you exercise your little mustard seed of faith. Is there anybody here today that could use a miracle. 
Is there anybody here today that's desperate for a miracle? Is there anybody here today that needs God to work on your behalf? Well, God's going to do it. He wouldn't give me this message if he wasn't going to do a miracle. I want you to lift your voices and your hands and close your eyes. If God could do for Bela Paskin what he did for him, then God can do a miracle for you. If God can bring two people from impossible situations and bring them back together, God can bring your children back to God. God can bring your grandchildren back to God. God can save you, deliver you. God can heal your body. Somebody begin to praise God right now. He's a miracle working God and just begin to say God you're able God you're able God you're able God you're able in the name of Jesus God you're able to take that cancer God you're able to destroy that COVID God you're able to touch that wayward child God you're able to deliver that child that's addicted God you're able to heal that spouse that is so deathly sick oh God you're able to touch that mom or dad you're able God there's nothing too hard for you God you're able I speak faith I raise the sword of the spirit I raise my sword in the name of Jesus Christ against the spirit of doubt, against the spirit of unbelief. See, the spirit of doubt will make you feel so unworthy. God wants to tell somebody, though you may feel you're worthless, that you have great value with God. Do you may feel like you've failed God so many times that why would God be interested in you now? Well, honey, think about this. Do you still love your child? Do you still love that child? God still loves you. If your child came running to you today with their arms wide, Would you step back and say, don't touch me? Or would you open your arms? What do you think your father would do? He's able. And he's willing. Now I know it's a, this service has suddenly taken a certain, a sudden turn. And I hear father calling to somebody right now up to this point you've never given it your all you've always given God something less than your all and it's never gotten you the satisfaction that God wanted you to have but today he's asking would you keep your promise and would you give him your all You promised God. Would you give God your all, just like you promised him? I feel the presence of the Lord. I'm going to take this Bible. I'm going to cover my heart with it right now. I love this book. I love this word. I love the God of this book. I want to offer him my all. No one else may know what we're talking about, but you and I and God know exactly what I'm talking about right now. You need to make good right now. Jesus, where are you going? I'm walking up Golgotha. But the crowds are laughing at you. It doesn't matter. I made a promise. Where are you going? I'm going to the cross. It's going to hurt. I made a promise. What are you doing? Nailing my hands. Why are you doing that? I made a promise. I'll save you. It doesn't matter what it costs. I will save you. And he kept his word. I am preaching. No, the Holy Ghost is preaching to somebody that needs to be getting up out of your chair right now no matter what anybody else is doing or has done or will do. And you probably 
No, I think you do. You need to walk down to the altar and say, God, I remember the promise I made you. I will serve the Lord. I will serve you with my whole heart. Father, I commit my life. I recommit my life to you. Better not do that, the demon of doubt says. Somebody will make fun of you. You'll be embarrassed. I made a promise. I'm waiting for you to get up and walk down to the front right now. You know who you are. I'm waiting for you to walk down to the front and say, God, I'm here. I'm here, God. I believe it was World War I. When the United States general marched with some troops into a a cemetery in France. And they wondered, what in the world is he doing? He drew up his troops right in front of the cemetery. And they went and they stood in front of a certain grave. And this is what that general said. Lafayette, we have come. had come to liberate France because you remember Lafayette helped liberate the United States and he said Lafayette we have come I wonder someone made a sacrifice for you many many years ago there might be somebody that says Jesus I've come here I am every head bowed every eye closed please don't look around please don't be distracted I think there's plenty of space up here for you still to make your way forward. If you're ever going to do it, today's the day. We've talked about it. You've dreamed about it. Today's the day to say, Lord, I've come. I remember my promise. And I've come. Let's pray together, Lord Jesus. I'd like the congregation to stand, please. Congregation, please stand. Lafayette! We have come, Jesus, we have come. Still waiting for one, still waiting for one. Why would you be so determined? Because you're at the very edge of your blessing. You're at the the border of your blessing. If you would just take that next step of faith, you could walk into that blessing. If you just take that next step of faith, If you can't do it for yourself, do it for the people that are dependent upon you. There may be a child's future that depends upon you. And I just wonder if it would be worth the effort to make your way forward and say, God, I have come. Here I am. Here I am. Self to you, here I am. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Let your spirit move through me. Here I am. 
Can we lift our voices now? Can we praise the Lord together all around this building and online? Let's praise Him together. Jesus, I love you, Lord. I worship you, God. I praise you, God. God, you're ready to do a miracle. You're ready, God, to do that which humans say is impossible. You're ready to save the person that the enemy has said is unsavable. You're able, Lord, to help that person dedicate that's never been willing to make the dedication. Lord, today, here I am. Here I am. I give it all to you, God. I give it all to you. Here I am. Here I am.